0: Hello, this is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for another episode of the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, if you are listening on audio only, then you will not see that I am joined this week by my uh, one of my favorite guests, actually, in way too long since Mm -hmm. we have gotten together and had a talk. And this is uh, Rachel Bernstein. She is a licensed therapist and family counselor and uh, a cult exit counselor, I guess you could say. Rachel, how would you describe yourself?
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right, yes. I I would describe myself first and foremost as a a fan of yours. And and then... (laughs) That's the spirit. (laughs) Right? Uh, And then, comma, um, I am... uh, an educator and a therapist. I've been doing this work for 30 years, which is blowing my mind. I'm, a, a mom, I'm a dog mom also. And, uh, and in that way, just, am, you know, someone who has needed to address emotions and needs, you know, from a lot of different angles, uh, and for a lot of different kinds of people. Um, and yes i do participate in some interventions that are exit counselings that are of course non-forceable because they're they're legal there you have it and uh, and that is really exciting work and at the same time most of what i do is meeting with clients now mostly online because of the pandemic and i also have a uh, bi-weekly former cult member support group and then my weekly podcast so i'm you know i have a lot of free time
0: on yes it. yes you are yeah. you are on it and uh mm-hmm. living the life of riley uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah rachel is actually quite awesome and she and she literally is one of my favorite people so just so all y'all know that um and we've done a number of podcasts together in fact i've got a playlist on my channel of the shows that rachel and i have (laughs) done so you guys can check that out because we have done a lot of content together talking about getting over a cult why people get into cults how to talk to people who are in cults what Mm -hmm. draws people into them in the first place we have covered a lot of territory and rachel is well well experienced in this field so Mm -hmm. i highly recommend checking those out Uh, This week, we are starting what's probably going to be a multi-episodes effort um, where we're going to talk about what are those emotional needs that I'm always going on about. When I talk about cults and people getting involved in them, I've tried to reduce it down to a simplicity of, look, people have emotional needs and those needs need to be met. And Mm -hmm. yet, even there, I have found that that is not enough. That doesn't communicate enough because some people are not even aware of the fact that they have emotional needs or that emotion is a thing that rules their thinking emotions to me after studying this as, as little as I have, there's a lot more I could do with this. But for me, I talk about emotions as thoughts that your whole body experiences,
1: Mm, you know, Mm
0: because, because it's happening in the same place. Mm-hmm. But you feel it in your stomach. You feel it in your toes. You fall in love. You feel light and airy. It's this big emotional experience. That's not just the same kind of emotional experience or thought process, rather as, what should I have for dinner? Or you know, should I buy this milk or this milk? You know, cost ratio wise, that's not as that's not a an intense emotional experience. Um, emotions are where your whole body is involved, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be quite powerful. That can be quite motivating, good and bad. When, yes. you're, when you're experiencing terror and fear, you're, you're clamped up, you're tense, you're, your stomach's doing flippy floppies, your brain's on fire, you're sweating, your hair's on end. I mean, your whole body is, is in it. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, when you're in love or happy or euphoric, same thing. But everything's mm-hmm. loosened up and, and you couldn't be skipping to higher, you know, and everything is wonderful. So, so mm-hmm. these, so emotions are not just the same thing as thoughts, but they are powerful motivators. And I wanted to dig into this and see, well, why, what is this all about? And I believe it has to do with meeting our needs, getting along, surviving, getting through life and, mm-hmm. um, And so I wanted to consult with a professional on this matter, somebody who's actually helped people navigate the difficulties of emotional fervor and, and getting over, you know, these, these past experiences of intense euphoria that we have in cults and, and relationships. And, and so Rachel, I've said my spiel there to kind of intro this. So Mm -hmm. how do you approach or think about the emotional needs of your clients or people who get involved in, in cultic situations specifically. And, 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 how do you define or think about that?
1: Right. So what's so interesting about this is it is so multi layered. Um, so uh, I'm just taking notes as I'm talking. You and I both, I'm sure like always with a piece of, right. Um <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, right. Okay, thank you. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, I find it very interesting to kind of introduce people to their emotions and to say, like you're saying, the things you're describing, the heart racing. Uh, the butterflies in your stomach, the nausea, whatever it is, the tightening of your jaw, your shoulders, to, to let them know that there is a source for that, which doesn't mean that it, it necessarily uh, leave, leaves you with kind of a clear-cut answer about what's causing it, but at least let's try to figure out what we can call it. And then let's try to work back and see when you started having some of these symptoms and what you think is creating it. One of the difficult things as you're talking about is that so much of what you described physiologically just now is adrenaline and adrenaline and and having this sort of, you know, cortical response to things. It can be caused by panic and it can be also caused by excitement. And so you want to be able to figure out what the source is and also what you're feeling. What I find is that within manipulative systems, they will take the same grouping of physiological responses and call it something else.
0: There we go. That's right.
1: And right. So you are feeling panic and they'll say, Oh, that's, That's because you're feeling um, enamored or excited or in awe, but you're actually feeling worried, but your heart (laughs) is racing and, and it's trying to guide you, but it's being relabeled in a positive sense by the people in the group. The other thing that happens is the opposite, which is, and this is all about sort of the detachment from the self that happens when you get involved in these groups, that you might be actually feeling kind of okay and they will decide that you're not okay and then of course they have the solution for that thing that suddenly they're telling you is a problem that you're having that really isn't a problem but it's the you know if all you have is a hammer everything has to be a nail right they're gonna they have the hammer so they have to figure out where that nail is like where the issue is and if you really don't have it, they will decide that you in fact were abused as a child and here's the proof that they can come up with and here's the solution they have for you that no one else has for you. So I do think a lot of people get involved in culture groups because of emotions that they're having and we can talk about what those emotions are and more clearly define them, but being able to hold to the truth of them is very hard when you go into a manipulative situation because they will be turned into something negative or turned into something positive whatever works for the group.
0: Well, that's exactly right. And I I'd love to give an example here from my experience of exactly what you're talking about here in this terms of this re, redefining or telling mm-hmm. you, you know, you're experiencing one thing and you you tend to think about it in a particular way because of how you, you know, you you how you've experienced it before. But then the cult tells you, oh, no, 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 that's actually this whole other thing. And, and, and an example of that is when David Miscavige would come around. Uh, when I was in Scientology in the Sea Org, um, you know, David Miscavige is the leader. And he is somebody who can look at you and say, you're busted. Off you go to the RPF, you know, or off you go to the prison camp or off you go to whatever. He can do that. He has that authority. And we know that. We knew that. Well, well aware of that fact. Uh, to the point that there had been stories and rumors, you know, that you would hear, always framed in a great light about how he was taking care, taking out the trash, taking care of business by getting rid of the dead wood, or 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 offloading people, or 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 sending people off to mm-hmm. to some punishment. And mm-hmm. the story was always framed in such a way that the person totally deserved it, right? but then you're aware of all your shortcomings and all the things you're not getting done because you're in an environment where you can never be on top of things and you can never get everything done. And now the, now the top of the top is coming around to inspect your area. And he would do this from time to time. He'd come around to the bases and, and walk around and talk to people and check things out. And we were absolutely terrified. I was able to think after I got out of that situation, I realized that all the feelings, all the, all the sensations and emotions I was experiencing were best described as absolute terror. I was completely losing my mind every time he was on base. I couldn't think of anything else. I'd break out into a cold sweat. My, You know, like everything would be freaking out. And this was called respect.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. That is a perfect... Example, oh my goodness, respect.
0: Yes, this was called not terror. No, but no, we were we would never ever tell another Sea Org member we are in terror of David Miscavige coming around to talk to us. He is the holiest of holies, right? He's like the top dog. We are not supposed to be afraid of him, and yet everyone was terrified of this guy. The, the the people who would dish out the punishments to us on a daily basis the the RTC people the CMO people the top top people you don't mm-hmm. have to get in all the abbreviations but the top people would run if they knew he needed something from them they were running across the base not walking right I mean if he the, the slightest whim and you know his wish was everybody's command. So, so, and and so you would see this and you'd go, oh, well, there must be a good reason why all these people are, you know, and it must be because they respect him so much. Like, this is how you would talk about it is, oh, he's the, you know, the holy. We wouldn't say the holiest of holies. We wouldn't even make jokes. It was just, oh, David Miscavige, he's so awesome. He's so awe-inspiring. I respect him so much. But what you're actually feeling is complete terror right you're scared out of your mind that this guy's gonna like look at you start talking to you and and this wasn't just me I observed this behavior a number of times with a number of people so there so the reframe there is 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 powerful because it really does get you telling yourself that what you're experiencing is not what you're experiencing you're experiencing something else entirely mm-hmm. and this was we were aided in this, by the fact that in Scientology, if you ever think a critical thought, a nasty thought, a horrible thought about somebody else, including David Miscavige, it is 100% proof positive that you have, you know, you've sinned, you've morally, you, you've done something, some criminal act that that is worthy of contempt. So, um, wow. So you would uh, run that on yourself, you know, well, mm-hmm. I can't be in terror, I can't be afraid of him, I can't be... You know, because it, it, it simply was not allowed that that be, you know, the, 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 that's not an acceptable thing to think about David Miscavige. You can't be no. afraid of him.
1: You, you know, know it, it's reminding me of a conversation we had that was recorded where you talked about the RPF where you said that in that environment, you learn to gaslight yourself.
0: Yes. There you go. And
1: this is, it's so interesting. It's so debilitating and yes. confusing. And especially even with no one around, you've learned to integrate that kind of thinking. You you know, it's, it's so difficult, too, in those moments when you look at it from an outsider because you see that what's happening there is that a whole system has been developed to protect the
0: perpetrator. Right. Exactly. So
1: he can get away with this, and it can be seen as respect. It's like someone who abuses someone else physically, sexually, but calls it love. I do this because I love you,
0: well, I was gonna ask is there is there are there parallels you've seen like when you do family or couples therapy or or ex cult therapy? Do you see parallels in you know much maybe more smaller family situations? I mean, I know there's there's situations where fathers are not necessarily the best role models right and and yet it's sort of framed as well, you have to respect your father or you have to respect your parents, even though they're total tyrants you know, this kind mm-hmm. of thing. I, I wonder, you know, is that, do you think that might be a, a lesser shade of that kind of thing or even the same kind?
1: Right. I mean, it goes back to this idea, of, you know, if cults um, kind of invented these things or if they capitalized on what already exists in society right. and just turned up the volume to 11, 1100, actually. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> uh, right? Um, and... And so, yes, it is already pervasive in some situations, like the teacher who gives you the bad grade, they'll sometimes say, well, you really needed to study more, or they'll say, I'm writing really hard because I believe in you. And they're like, okay, if you believe in me, can not you give me the A and then we'll talk about other... You know, so there's an excuse given, I think, for mistreatment and, and being meaner to people that it's because you care. And if you didn't care, you wouldn't yell at them. Um, a lot of people will talk about feeling specially chosen by someone only to then be at their mercy more, whether it is physical or sexual, etc. Yeah. But they're supposed to see it as a compliment. I think the other thing that happens as pervasive in society that gets taken up more than a notch in cults is that certain emotions are allowed and certain emotions aren't. So if you are positive, if you're feeling respectful, if you're happy, great. If you're feeling terror, if you're feeling angry, all these are seen as overreactions or weaknesses, Um, Or that you're playing the victim card. So no one has to take you seriously at all, which is so hard. And when you realize after a while that your emotions actually don't matter, then I think you stop having them register as much. And that adds to the disengagement from the self.
0: Wow. Great way of putting that. Absolutely. I've seen that so many times. Um, Well, let us... Let's look at maybe some of the specific, you know. There's a, there's a, there's this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're not going to go on a whole, you know, roll on that right now but from that has come that was that was actually work that was done i didn't realize until i was i was doing a little bit of research for our talk today that that was actually decades ago i mean that was that was like 60 70 80 years ago that that, that Baslow was actually coming up with that and uh, the other thing i learned that was fun on that one was th- it was never a pyramid that that came later that the the pyramid idea was not his original work. That somebody else put it that way, but the idea of having needs, physical and emotional, or or life-oriented needs, mm-hmm. uh, comes from Maslow's work. And more work has been done on that over the years, and they've kind of nailed it down at this point to nine basic emotional needs that people have we can actually categorize them and talk about them that way and i thought Mm -hmm. that might be a good way to Mm -hmm. go into this right and i doubt like i said i doubt we'll cover all of them today but um now that we've kind of established what we're talking about with emotion Mm -hmm. and emotional needs the first one on the list and and this is uh all of these any one or a combination of them We really need to think about this in this light. This isn't something to escape from. These needs are not going to go away no matter what you do. (laughs) You're always going to have these. We're not calling these out Mm -hmm. as something bad. What I want to point out here is how these needs are used to manipulate you. Because Mm -hmm. you have them regardless of what other people do about them. But if you know about them, if you're aware of them, and think about them this way, then you can be aware of when people are trying to manipulate you using mm-hmm. these, and that's mm-hmm. that's the purpose of this po- of these podcasts. So, on this, per- this is the first one we could talk about: is the need for security, mm-hmm. right? Personal security, yeah. security in life, feeling like you're on a on solid ground. You're not in quicksand. You're mm-hmm. not sinking. You know. How has how do you think about and approach that need in, uh, in your work?
1: Mm, right. So the need for security, yes, is one that starts very young. I mean, you think about the kids who need their parents to check under their beds for monsters. <sighs> and so you need to know that your environment is safe. You need to have the light on just a little. Sorry. You need to have the door open just a little. And Or close with a lock, depending on what works for you. But I think if you then know that the people in your world are going to respond to it, aren't going to just make fun of it, um, and also aren't the ones who are the monsters or the ones letting the monsters in, then you can feel safe and you want to replicate that in your adult life when you're outside the home and that's why you know security systems exist but i think to a great degree cults are security systems.
0: oh great way of putting that yeah and
1: so then you have this formula if you do this then this will happen it's fail safe and we can say it that way because if it doesn't work it's because you didn't do it right So there's this guise of this perfect, secure system, whether it is to keep yourself safe now or, you know, after you die, whatever the philosophy or theology of the group is. But I think what what people also need to be wary of, though, is that in your search for security, sometimes the need is so great that you won't necessarily question the person who is promising it to you. Right. You'll just be so happy that they're promising it to you. And not if they have a track record of lying to people or if people within the context or, or relationship with them become actually less secure. You just feel like you want to just hand yourself over and put your life in their hands. It feels so good it's like the emotional trust fall and sometimes we don't check to see if someone's actually going to catch us
0: that's that is great i will uh let me bolster that with an example uh Mm -hmm. again for my own life of joining the sea organization in the first place Mm um you know I, i i i'm assuming with this podcast you all have some basic idea of my background and i and i was involved in scientology for decades and so I worked in the C organization. That's a full-time paramilitary, uniformed, yes, sir, no, sir, you know, kind of outfit. And you live on a base. You uh, They call mm-hmm. it a, a base, like a military base. That's how they think mm-hmm. about it. And I, when I joined that group in twenty-five, when I was 25 years old, I did so because a, a, a good deal of it was because of this particular need. I was out in the real world. Working in Santa Barbara, scrape, you know, s- scraping by going from job to job in the in the mm-hmm. the job market while trying to maintain the, the Scientology job. And I was working like all the time. I didn't really have a life. I was just working all the time. And mm-hmm. the only time I had off was weekend nights. I was working two full-time jobs, right? So mm-hmm. um, so I did not feel secure. I was not, I was moving constantly, you know, getting, you know, I wasn't getting well, no, actually, I got to be honest. A couple of times, I wasn't making rent and getting kicked out of places. I mean, it was it was a really scrabble, hard scrabble existence, mm-hmm. and I did that for eight years trying to make that work. And um, wow. and finally, I just got tired. But I was still so dedicated to the cause. I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, and, and 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 clearly, I could see with my own eyes after eight years of work. Well, Scientology in Santa Barbara wasn't wasn't making it. So what do I need to do? Well, I need to double down. I need to go even harder on this, right? Rather than hit the eject button, which is what most sensible people would have done. I didn't do that. I was like, no, this works. It's it's absolutely true. And I need to show it, right? So, mm-hmm. so I joined the Sea Org and I moved down to Los Angeles, became part of a Sea Org base, full-time, 24-7 operation, and I gave even more of myself over. And I did it partly because of this exact need. The environment was not safe. The environment was, the the world was full of dangerous people who were very screwed up, according to L. Ron Hubbard. I believe that. I always felt separate from everybody else because of that. So why not go be with my own? By joining the Sea Org, right? And mm-hmm. having that security. I'll have a place to live. I'll have food in my belly. I'll have clothes on my back. Guaranteed, all of these things will happen. So what more security? Then I can just focus on getting the Scientology done. And that was that was part of the impetus for that. Big, big, big part of that. So there's a real world example for you of, of how security can be manipulated. Because, of course, I did that because I was told... It would be this great thing, you know, it'd be this wonderful experience. You know, you get there and about a week in you're like, Holy shit, this is not at all what I thought it was gonna be, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then you have to do the sort out and and resolve the dissonance, right? And go, well, okay, well, here we go. I'm sure if I'm sure it's all my fault, and I'm sure it's all on me, and I just need to get my shit together, and then everything will be perfect. And you just keep telling yourself that for years and years and years until it finally comes home to you. It ain't them. It's not you. It's them. You, you got to get out of this. You know, but it took me way too long to realize that. But uh-huh. this security need was a big one, and so I'll just highlight that as an mm-hmm. example of that. And I and I hope that that communicates to everybody. You know, that's a big. But there's lots mm-hmm. of smaller ways people do that to other people to manipulate them and get them under their control using this security mm-hmm. need.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. It would be great, actually, if people left a cult and they said, no, oh, it's not me. It is you. Uh, <laughs> in fact, totally 100%. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I I do think also there's this notion that we can't leave yet because you know, we've already put something into it and, and, you know, we just have to keep trusting the process more. Yeah. And the people around you seem like they have it together and they seem fine. And you think, okay, you just have to kind of endure what you're enduring until you get what you think you were supposed to get or what you were promised.
0: That's right. That's so right. You know, it occurs to me now also that this could also be used for retention, not just for manipulation and and recruitment, but Mm -hmm. you retain people with this because, uh, for example, I remember conversations I was having with myself near the end of my Sea Org time when I was like, I got to get out of here. Well, maybe not. Maybe, hold on. Let's think about this. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm getting three meals a day. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got clothes on my back. Like even at the end, even after 17 years of, of, of a lot of abuse and a lot mm-hmm. of nonsense that I put up with in order to try to do Scientology, even at the end, I was still questioning on this point of security and my needs of security of, 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 a, <laughs> of, a, of, a, of a stable life, right? Well, I've got food. I've got clothes. I've got a job. No one's ever going to fire me. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, they're right. not going to get rid of me. If I leave, it's going <laughs> to, I'm going to have to fight to leave and get through that. So am I really, do I really, really, really want to do that? You know, and I had to really mm-hmm. think about that for a while. My, my leaving Scientology was not, or, or the Sea Org was not an overnight decision. I, it was well considered. Yeah. And this was one of the needs that I was, that I was really stuck on. And, and I bring this up, not just because of, of me, if you're trying to get somebody out of a call or talking to somebody who's in a situation like that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you need to be cognizant of this because one of the reasons they'll stay is they know it's abusive. They know it's bad for them, but mm-hmm. it fulfills this need. It gives them security. It gives them a sense yeah. of place and and location and food and you know those needs will be met so mm-hmm. something to think about when you're uh you know interacting with people in these situations I guess
1: right and I think you also touched on something so interesting about how you know Elron Ron Hubbard would talk about other people in the world so when you want people to feel they have to stay in order to be safe you have to make the outside world a very scary place yeah And you have to make every alliance outside also a threat. And so as soon as you leave this place that is now being created in your mind as this nest or cocoon, a safe oasis, then you're gonna be then eventually too fearful of leaving because you're gonna have the what ifs. And what if they're right? And I just left something to go to something worse. Well, it could be better, but what if they're right? Exactly. And you just don't want to take the chance.
0: That's right. And when you're in the middle of, uh, of, a, of a cultic situation, a narcissistic relationship situation, you, you know, like Yanya Lavach has said, you are, your choices are bounded. Mm-hmm. You know, you are, you are locked into mm-hmm. certain choices you can make, and you really have to go off the reservation to consider making other choices than those that have you been limited to. And that is hard to do specifically for these reasons of, of these emotions.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's imp- important to say that, I guess, by and large, from what I've seen and probably from what you've seen, people's lives get a lot better once they leave. Oh, and yeah. they're sort of pleasantly surprised by how nice people are <laughs> and how willing to help and honest They are total opposite of what they were warned against.
0: Exactly. Yeah. No, it's all done on purpose. It's that whole us versus them. You have to make the outside world the dangerous, horrible, awful place so that you'll stay inside the little soft cocoon of security that you have created for yourself with this wonderful group who would never hurt you. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, uh, let's see if we can get into another one here, because mm-hmm. there is another very interesting one on the list, which is the need for autonomy and a sense of control of your life.
1: Hmm.
0: Right. We all have this. Nice. There's not a single person yeah. who doesn't want this.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: How does that right. manifest? Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. So this is really, this is one of the more ironic ones when we talk about food. <laughs> situations right uh right even just the word choice right that people feel like they were choosing to stay yep. they were choosing to stay in their abusive relationship they're choosing to stay in their cultic group and and no um usually not i don't think they realize how how much their uh, their hands have been tied behind their backs um but over and over they're told well but it's your choice I mean, but you can go into the you know fires of hell, or you can stay here. But it's your choice. Uh,
0: <laughs> exactly. Right. Okay, That's exactly. great. That's
1: an easy one. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think that the uh, you know autonomy is something you forfeit without your consent right away. Um, control also forfeit without your consent I think you have the feeling that you have control because again I think you keep being told that you're choosing this and also sometimes people are given roles within a group that give them a sense of control um, and that they have some power but it's still all within kind of like the jail cell of the group that they're in.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It's that bounded choice thing again. This mm-hmm. is actually really hard to grapple with. Um, the, 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 the deep need for control or for autonomy, for the feeling that you are the one making the choices of your life. It's hard to really get your wits around this one because it can it can manifest itself in ways that look absolutely insane mm-hmm. and it's really interesting because you if you don't know that this is a thing and i have not been as cognizant of this as i should be in talking about for example i'm going to bring up something crazy right now as, a, as an example of this is um anti-vaxxers mm-hmm. right now i'm not this is not a ideological approach here i'm talking about i'm talking about psychologically i am saying that they like everybody else, have a need to feel in control and that they are the ones who are making their choices. And I didn't appreciate until this pandemic and the responses to this vaccine thing, Mm -hmm. just how powerful this need is because it will override anything. As long as a person feels they're in the driver's seat, even if they're making choices that you go, that's crazy, that's not the point. It was never the point. It was about the fact that they have to feel that they have a choice. Mm-hmm. And when you are mandating things, you're taking choices away from people and they lose their mind. And, it, and I'm not commenting on the rightness or wrongness of their choices. I'm commenting on the fact that they have to feel that they have choices. And that is so important to people that they will make the quote-unquote wrong choice, the antisocial choice, the choice that goes against everybody else just to show that they have a choice.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. And yes, it is vital uh, for human beings to exercise that that potential to see if they have it, to see if they have some say over the decisions in their lives. And you could see with anti-vaxxers, um, and again, not making a statement about you know the validity of arguments in either direction, but in the language that's used when these issues are talked about, because it went quickly off of the language of medicine and onto the language of freedoms.
0: Yes. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. That's right. Yeah.
1: And so then, you know, that, that is the, the trigger switch that that's the thing that really gets people. And, and then I think they go at times too far afield in, in any situation where they feel like, their, their ability to make decisions for themselves and have that sense of agency and autonomy is being taken away. What doesn't get questioned at times is if there's a necessity um, and maybe having a mandate is kind of an overcompensation, but it's the only way to ensure safety. So right. it's hard to kind of pull back because when you're, when you're focused on autonomy, when you're focused on freedom, I think you're very self-focused. And you're not necessarily looking at how you are um, engaged with the rest of the world and why it might be important for you to make a decision that feels like you're forfeiting some of your freedom, but for the greater good.
0: Exactly. This is this is actually a great way to, to show, actually, we could highlight this here, that different needs take different precedents at different times,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Mm-hmm. We all have these nine things. But we're going to stress one over the other, depending on the context of our lives at that moment, what we feel, you know, is is the ragingly important thing. So security could be the, you know, the really priority for your life if you are, say, homeless or on the threat of losing a job or a marriage or this or that, you know, suddenly security could become a really big deal to you. Um, On the other hand, if all that's taken care of, you're not thinking about that. Everything's fine. I'm good. You're good. Everything's good. But how dare you try to force this choice on me? Now suddenly autonomy becomes the priority for you and your emotional needs. So this is a, this is a bit of a balls in the air kind of a thing. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not that they're all equal at all times or that you think about them equally at all times. And mm-hmm. maybe, uh, maybe another example, let me ask you about what you think of this one is, um, what do you think about teenagers on this one?
1: Hmm uh with the the mandates or freedom no with the
0: with the autonomy need right with the feeling of needing to be in control right
1: yeah 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 so there you're (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah you're dealing with this very uh intense conflict between the need for freedom and the lack of a fully developed brain (laughs) exactly Okay. Not their fault. Correct. Okay. They still have a few more years to go. Uh, yes. like 10. Yes. Uh, and they just got to hang in there until they can think clearly. Um, <laughs> cause that's when you have the people who will, let's say go to a party, have something to drink and drive and say, well, I'm, you know, a lot of people, I remember friends of mine saying, I, oh, I drive a lot better when I'm stoned. Like, no, you just think you do, because you're stoned. <laughs> but um, but the <laughs> other thing is that people will say when they don't have, I think, kind of a way of looking at it in the greater picture, uh, and it is so much about their rights, they might think that they could get behind a wheel having had something to drink, and say, so if I'm in an accident, I'm in an accident, because they're thinking about it potentially being harmful to them. We might not wanna get behind the wheel after we've had something to drink, because we could kill somebody else. And so I think that it's just a different way of approaching this. Um, And um, I think, yes, teenagers do have um, a very kind of mm, difficult conflict that comes out in a lot of emotion um, because they really want to be able to have freedom and they know that they they are not quite capable. And it's really hard for them when they realize that, when they have to be rescued from their own decisions.
0: That's right. That's right. It's a tumultuous time because... Um... Because you're becoming aware of this stuff for the first time mm-hmm. as a teen, like your, your, your awareness has now gone out, your education has gone out, your sphere of influence has, has sort of expanded beyond yourself to become more aware of the world and your relationships mm-hmm. and the social hierarchies and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And suddenly this, oh, wait a minute, everybody's got something to tell you what to do. Everybody's got advice for you. Everybody's got orders for you. Mm-hmm. As to the thing you should be doing, and, the, and it comes to a head. You're, you know, you're fifteen, sixteen years old, and you're like, "When do I get to have a say in any of this?" <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, in this whole rebellion phase, right? Because mm-hmm. this, these, these needs and our phases of development are, are you know, are, are, are intimately connected. So mm-hmm. you could, you know, you could look at, at, at things that way. Yeah. So yeah, so this is really good. But the the, the other the flip side here also, the other the, the the bad end of this choice autonomy need is that you can drive somebody straight into a destructive situation by trying to force them to stay in a good situation, right? Just mm-hmm. just the fact of you trying to force them has nothing to do with the values, it has nothing to do with the beliefs has nothing to do with how right you are and how wrong they are or how right they are and how wrong you are it has nothing to do with any of that you're trying to force them to do something and it's just the mere fact of that nope i'm not doing it i don't care you know oh, and they will Ooh, they will hold on to that right and mm-hmm. and that's something that that uh that starts around that time as far as i could tell
1: <laughs> oh it does It does, it informs a lot of how I intervene too, how I did as a parent and also how you do kind of when you're working with families or even with friends of yours who would come to you. Um, And we can talk about that. And I think more fully another time about how there is this dance, this, I see it as a slow dance. So that when you get into someone's face, when you're slow dancing, they have to move back. They move farther away from where you want them to be. Otherwise you'll collide. And so what you have to figure out how to do while still caring is take that step backwards, sort of not be in their face, not be critical, give them that space to then be thinking safely and kind of come forward, but feel like they're doing that on their own terms in their own time. So there is an art to it.
0: Exactly. So true. So very true. So what I want to do, folks out there with this, is I'm going to actually, normally sometimes Rachel and I have had very long discussions and wonderful ones, but on this particular topic, and and actually because I'm thinking about you guys, the audience out there, I don't want to pile all nine points on in one episode. There's way, oh, there's a lot to think about with this, and this is something that I think is really important. So what I want to do is I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to give these in little bite-sized bits. We're going to do this one and we're going to wrap this one up on the first two, because I want to give you guys the opportunity to actually think about what we talked about and how it might apply in your world, in your life, with your relationships, both for yourself and for others. Um and you know the good and the bad the right and the wrong look at all ends of it you know when we talk about autonomy when we talk about security what are, what are these needs how do, where you know what what is how do they manifest in in your existence and how knowing this now are there ways you can use this information to make things better for yourself and for other people that's the whole point so uh so on that note <laughs> Thank you. I think we're going to, I think we're going to start wrapping up our show for this week. Um, Rachel, I really, really, really want to thank you for being part of this. How much do you think, you know, in your practice, how, how, what's, what tools or what information are you, is this the kind of information that you're utilizing on a, on a routine basis in treating people?
1: Right. I am. What's interesting about this, and I'm really glad that you are doing this as it's in bite-sized pieces, it gives people a chance to think about stories in their own lives because this affects everyone in, in different ways. So I think for, for people out there to really say, oh, right, that's why that happened. And that reminds me of this. And it's good to try to understand it, not judge it, but understand it, as you're saying, as all basic human needs. And just knowing that there's some people who will capitalize on them, who will take advantage of them, it doesn't mean it's wrong to have them. But you need to be careful around that, that people are going to target them. Um, And so then if you can kind of label it what it is, then I think you can protect it a little bit better. But yeah, I think that what I find in my work is that so many people are looking for things that they don't know or just normal. And they might think that their weaknesses or they might think that everyone else has got it together except for them because everyone else is hard of faking it (laughs) or seeming fine. Everyone deals with these things, everybody. And sometimes at a greater amount at different times in your life when you've been through a hard time or you haven't been raised in a certain way that's helped guide you through these things in a healthy way. And you have to kind of learn it as you go and just hope that you have good mentors and role models and connections throughout your life so that you can deal with these things in a healthy way. Um, But yeah, I, I work with a lot of people to understand why it is that it's not bad to want autonomy but it is something that people will kind of mm, they'll say that you have how do you know if you still have it how do you know if you forfeited what's the evidence around you Um, and also do you don't want to find yourself in a situation that kind of doles out little bits of autonomy and security based on how much you're devoted based on how much you sacrifice. It shouldn't be based on anything. It shouldn't be a reward or punishment system, um, but that's what's set up within cultic groups. No one should hand you back your autonomy because they shouldn't have taken it away to begin with.
0: There we go, beautiful. Uh, I, I, I actually just, I don't even wanna try to put it better than that, that was great. I'm gonna <laughs> leave it right there because that's exactly right. Uh, these, you know, all, yeah, all, all I want to reiterate is is please realize that the that the message of this is not that these are bad things. These are things you have to get rid of. You're never gonna have, you're never not gonna have a need for security. <laughs> right. So it's really a matter of well, how do I, you know, in the most healthy way possible for myself and my life? How do I how do I manifest this? And that's mm-hmm. that's the point here. So. So I hope we're I hope we're helping. Thanks everybody for coming around and and watching us, uh, you know, ga- gabble on here, <laughs> and, and we will see you guys again in a couple of weeks. And also, I want to plug uh, Rachel's podcast. It's called Indoctrination, which I love. I love that title. Always loved it. Um, Rachel, do you want to talk about at all where people can find you and your work?
1: Sure, sure. Um, yes indoctrination capital I capital n uh, it comes out every Wednesday and if people are interested in listening to it it's wherever people listen to podcasts I also will provide uh, clips some video clips from it on YouTube on my YouTube channel which is named after me I think what uh, what's also, it, interesting I, and I hope you know for people out there, if they feel like it would be valuable for them to hear other people telling their stories, because it's not just about people being involved in cults, it's about people being in relationships that also um, tapped into some of those needs, emotional needs that we're gonna be talking about and, and took advantage of them or took them, um, controlled them, took things away. Uh, again, without people's knowledge or consent. And and so I talk more about systems of control in a general sense. Um, but yeah, if people also are interested in telling their story, they can be in touch with me uh, through my email, bernsteinlmft at gmail.com or indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you.
0: Beautiful. And I highly recommend reaching out to her if you have something to say, because Rachel is pretty awesome and uh and so is her show so you guys can check that out all right guys uh thank you very much for coming around i think we've got all of our end of the show plugs and everything in so uh so we will just wrap it up i'll see you guys again next week bye bye